you learn so much more from those low spots than you do from like the glory moments. Hey, everybody. Emily Avati here. You are listening to episode 222. We love a nice even number (laughs) of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am excited to bring you my convo with Sarah Sturm. She is a pro cyclist and bike racer who made the decision not all that long ago to leave a career in graphic design to follow her passions on two wheels. Sarah and I have a really interesting conversation about the discrepancies, let's call them, within male and female cycling and how a lot of women in this sport in particular had other careers before making the transition into the saddle full time. She sheds some light on why that might be and also shares her hopes for the future of the sport. Funnily enough, Sarah and I happen to share the same motto, which is do good. And we have a really beautiful chat on what that looks like in our day-to-day. And of course, I could not have a pro cyclist on the show without asking her for her best practice cycling tips. So Sarah's offering up a lot of really helpful information on everything that you need to know to feel successful on the bike, ranging from the thing that you shouldn't be wearing under your bibs to her foolproof way to enjoy the ride more every single time. Loved this conversation. Sarah's energy is electric. In full transparency, I learned of Sarah and started following Sarah after I saw her gorgeous new kit that she made in collaboration with Rafa. I'll link that in the show notes, but yeah, loved this combo, loved Sarah's energy, and I have her to thank now for encouraging me to finally take an Enneagram personality test. I did it on this website called truity.com, that's T-R-U-I-T-Y not sponsored, but ironically enough, I am exactly what she guessed that I would be. And my mind is kind of blown. For more on this, what an Enneagram test is and all that stuff we chat about in today's episode. So stay tuned. As for a little housekeeping, make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on the social at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And if you have yet to subscribe, you can find a link to do that in the show notes. We would love, love, love to be in your inbox every Friday with a lot of the same motivation and inspiration you love from the show. Subscribing is free, although there is an option to donate or support. I love you all the same, regardless of what you choose to do. Also in the show notes, links to the events that I have coming up in both London and Chicago this weekend and next weekend. I am so excited to see you. If you happen to be in town, make sure you are SVP. I think that's it for now. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Sarah Sturm. She is a pro cyclist. How are you doing today, Sarah? Great. Did a little walk with my dog this morning and feeling good. Feeling good. A little walk with your dog. Where are you and I speaking today? Where are you right now? I'm in Durango, Colorado for just a moment um, before heading off again to more events. But thus is the life and I'm stoked on it. Um, I do really love where I live. I'm in kind of a smaller mountain town in the southwest corner of Colorado, so pretty close to where I grew up in New Mexico. I just need to let you know as we get into this that it seems as though, and I don't want to make any bold assumptions from your Instagram bio, but you and I have a similar vibe in our like life motto approach. My family motto is do good, and I've kind of adopted as like be kind as a secondary to that as I've gotten older. (laughs) 
So we're on the same page here. Totally. I mean, it's so funny when you like think of like what to put in those little bios. You're like, you're trying to be true to yourself, but also like not total markety or like cheese ball. But like those things are really important to me, you know, like doing good, like can mean so many things. And I think in general, it means that you're like, you're just trying to be the the good version of yourself, right? <laughs> when you right now think about what you're doing and the idea of doing good, what does doing good or the act of doing good look like to you? Oof, that's a good question. Actually, it's something that I've thought about a lot this year, especially with the season being a little more challenging emotionally. For me, um, you always question everything, you know, when you're like having a bad time. <laughs> And the thing that I have come back to is like, at least in my life, like doing good is like just trying to move forward and through, um, which sometimes requires, you know, staying still and moving backwards, which none of that makes sense if you actually think about the sentence I just said. But (laughs) um, I would say like doing good is like trying to better yourself, others, and the world around you. And like that looks, actually very different than the like glorified version that we have in our heads. I think everything kind of gets that like Hollywood tint to it sometimes. Like you think it can be nicely tied up with, you know, a good plot ending or a bow, but really it's like small things. Small things. That's interesting too, right? This idea that we think of doing good and it's like, I need to help the homeless. Like help people that don't have access to X or Y. You want to do as much good as possible. But realistically, in the everyday sense, like doing good isn't always going to look to that capacity. Doing good is just hopefully being a good human and being kind to other people. I know. It's so it's so funny. Like I I do think like being nice to humans is like the best place to start. And I'm not even going to say easiest because sometimes it's super hard. When we bought our house, this is a funny story, but we bought our house a couple years ago and my mother-in-law put this like sign that's like, you know, we accept everybody like kindness, you know, whatever, like one of those, like just like LGBTQ signs, like everything, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and every time I drive around with my sister in my car and have like a bit of a road rage moment. Like mainly it's just verbal for me where I'm like, get out of the way. You're driving too slow or something like that. Hannah's like, wow, your sign really lies. (laughs) You're not a kind person, (laughs) which if you ever want a humble moment, just have a little sister. (laughs) (laughs) She'll paint some, she'll shed some light on what's really happening. Yeah. (laughs) She'll get a kick out of this. She does listen to my podcast, which is really supportive and funny. In all this coming and going, like I mentioned at the top of this, pro cyclist, what does that look like Mm -hmm. for you these days? What a professional cyclist means, um, at least in my scope, there's obviously like lots of different niches you can choose within cycling from road racing, mountain biking, cyclocross, like there's tons. Um, And I... I race endurance events on dirt. So that's like endurance mountain bike events, endurance gravel events, anything that sounds horrible, really. So like 200 miles, (laughs) 100 miles plus usually. And um, this year there's a new series for, I mean, really it's the biggest series in the US, which is kind of crazy. it's called the Lifetime Grand Prix. So it's like six races, three mountain bike races, three gravel races um, over six months of the year. And then at the end, there's like a quarter million dollar prize purse. And they selected, you know, 20 men, 20 women for this um, professionals. And and we have one race to go. <laughs> one race to go. How are you feeling? <laughs> Finally, I feel good. <laughs> Sorry, did you mean mentally or physically? (laughs) Well, okay, let's address both. A, let's start with how's your body feeling? (laughs) The body's good. It's crazy. I think women have this just natural ability to endure. Um, I have a theory that it has something to do with our ability to 
bring a human being into this world. <laughs> um, so I think that that helps uh, just biologically. But I mean, women can really, we can really suffer. So I, I think it really helps for our endurance. Um, and so my body feels actually like shockingly fine. This is my fifth year as a professional. So it's not like a totally new thing. This is definitely like the most intense season I've had, but um, mentally it's a different story. <laughs> mentally it's a different story. What's the story? Well, I mean, if anyone, <laughs> I think any athlete can relate to this, but most of the time it's like the game is mental. Um, because when you're competing at the highest level, everyone's sort of equal in, in a lot of ways. Like I think there are some marginal gains and some people are just blessed biologically, I guess, and have like crazy superhuman abilities. But for the most part, I think it's all in your head. Um, and so that becomes the biggest game. And it's sort of like the thing that a lot of athletes, I, I don't know if they pay attention to or like give, give as much credit to, but like, um, it's, it's really hard to stay focused and the pressure becomes pretty intense, which is something I was not expecting this year. As I kind of climbed higher, higher in the series, I thought I would be like more and more stoked, but really I was like, oh my God, this is less and less fun. <laughs> less and less fun. And you mentioned becoming pro. You've been pro for five years now. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you that a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, I did a story. I wrote an article for Cannondale and I interviewed uh, women that were on a pro cycling team for Cannondale. And the thing that was interesting about the women versus what I know to be true about male cyclists is that all of these women had thriving careers before they decided to take the plunge and go pro cyclist. Like they were like teachers and nurses and so many interesting lawyers, like so many interesting things. And then they were like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to try this passion project of mine. So talk to us a little bit about what you were doing five years ago. Yeah. I mean, just like you hit the nail on the head. I mean that like we saw a, like a road cyclist win the Olympics and she was like, like a rocket scientist or something. Like, I, I mean, I don't even know if I'm exaggerating there. Like she won an Olympic gold in the road and like had a full-time job doing something with math, which is why I don't know what it is <laughs> because my job before this was a graphic designer and I worked for a couple different companies. Um, I owned my own business for a while and I just always sort of like needed that balance. Like I've I have ridden my bike and raced my bike competitively since I moved to Durango for college in 2008. So whoever can do that math, I always had a balance of multiple things. Like I, I didn't fully step away from design until really like last year um, was kind of like, I had slowly been phasing design out, but I always really liked having a balance of things going on. I think a lot of the time for women, um, there are fewer opportunities to make enough money to support yourself. So I, th I would say that that is a huge reason that a lot of women have other careers. Also, I, I don't want to like sound anti-male because I'm not, but from what I have gathered of racing closely and like being friends with a lot of the the guys in the sport who th they haven't even gone to college, which is fine. Like, I'm not saying like you have to go to college at all, but more the point being like, they don't really have a backup plan other than like all into cycling. But I'm like, what if you get injured? <laughs> what are you going to do? I, uh, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I hear where you're coming from. Uh, as one type <laughs> A person, I would approach this in the same way that you would. And that I'm like, okay, well, if this would work out, like, I remember in one of the first episodes of the show, uh, a man that is now my mentor, his name's Fred Santarpia, and he used to be the chief digital officer at Condé Nast. And he said to me something that I'll never forget, which was, if you don't have a plan B, then you don't have a plan. And yes. there's nothing wrong with like going all in and being passionate about something. But if you do not have the bandwidth or thought process to be like, if this doesn't happen, then what? Then right. I ask you, like, how prepared are you really? Totally. Totally. I mean, that's like, I, I do think that my parents and my upbringing, like that, that really helped. And I'll back up a little bit. I got into cycling 
in college when I was a teenager, like 18, which now, I mean, is super late in the game. Like I didn't start mountain biking until I was in my 20s, which I felt like was, well, now looking back, I'm like, that was a really long time ago. But I, so like I came into the sport like really new, um, whereas like all of my peers had been racing as juniors in high school. And um, I stumbled into the best collegiate cycling program in the country at the time, which honestly was truly just super lucky that Fort Lewis College ended up being like a place that gave me an academic scholarship, was in the mountains, was close to my family, um, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of lucked into this like really awesome bike community. And I noticed that like all of the male, my male teammates were like all in for cycling and like school was like pretty secondary to most of them. And that was kind of the vibe of like the whole sport. I mean, one, there's a lot of dudes in cycling, um, especially in like mountain biking and off-road stuff. Um, There's just a lot of dudes that is changing, which is cool. But I just felt very different. Like when I got onto my first pro team um, out of college, like I had a full-time job as a designer because I was like, well, I'm certainly not making any money at the sport. So at least I'm going to like break even here, you know, like it just never even occurred to me to like, but also part of that was fear. You know, I think sometimes it's kind of, it's freeing to have that level of commitment. And I've actually had to work to accept like the potential failure if I put everything into it. Cause I always kind of used like, oh, I'm so busy doing so many different things as like, a bit of a cop out. So I've sort of like, there's struggles with both sides. It's scary to put all of your eggs in the basket. It's scary to be vulnerable. It's so frightening to be like, this is where I'm at. What do we want to do with this? And know that your ducks are in a row. They're in front of you. Your cards are on the table, all the sayings, right? I, through like therapy and the work that I've done, I'm at a point now that and I have a feeling you are too, like, I'd rather put my cards on the table. Like, I would rather be true to who I am and tell you how I feel than hold that in or like ask myself, like, what if, like, why am I going to be the only thing standing in my own way of whatever it is that I want? Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny because like in a lot of other parts of my life, I'm like really like an open book, you know, like I'm pretty, it's easy for me to be vulnerable in like some ways, but then like with sport and athletics, there's like ego involved, right? So like you're, mm. you know, your own personal battle of like, God, I really care about this. And what if I like try the hardest thing and then fail? So I know I'm not the best. So might as like, I would always do the low hanging fruit thing, you know, where I'm like, okay, I don't want to show myself that I'm not capable of competing with the best. So I'm just going to go a step down. And it's just not, and this is something that honestly I've learned this season through the help of my coach. And, you know, I work with a therapist as well. I really have like all hands on deck here. (laughs) And um, my coach was like, why, like, would you feel as good doing this race and winning it like by far versus like lining up with like the best of the best and like seeing where you stack up and then learning from that. And like, that was like a, I know it's like so simple, but it's like really hard to do. And like, it was kind of like the first step of that was like stepping away from graphic design, um, which was multifaceted, of course. But that just meant that like, like you said, all eggs were in the cycling basket. And I was like all in because like before I could be like, oh, well, I, I get bonus credit because I'm doing I'm a professional cyclist and a professional graphic designer. But really, in in actuality, I did, I was just stretched so thin that I did both really poorly. Well, yeah, really poorly, yeah, I hear that. We'll touch on that bold career transition in just a second. But yeah. for you, you mentioned coming up in cycling uh, at the collegiate level. And then shortly after that, for you, there weren't a ton of women around. You were cycling with a lot of men. Now... We hear this saying all the time, in order to to be her, sometimes you need to see her. What was it like for you to come up in this sport without a ton of 
females to look up to. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely like key women in my life. A lot of them were my peers. Um, And then as I raced more and more, I was like exposed to like, you know, more professional level women in the sport. And that was huge. But it's not like those, like it was really before social media, you know, like that's, that is a whole crazy thing, I guess, to have like, like watched develop from like in the professional sport world. Like, it's not like I could just follow like some of my favorite athletes. You sort of had to like (laughs) get indoctrinated into the sport to know who the women were. So like it, it did start with like my peers and like my friends who like my girlfriends who got me into the sport. And like, I'm definitely so thankful for those, for those women. And, um, you know, one of the reasons I never stuck with road racing, um, which was the thing that I would say I'm most naturally talented in, you know, the thing with the curly bars and you're on roads and you're in a big pack. Like I loved it. You know, I came from soccer teams and swim teams and all these team sports and it, it is a team sport, but there was this like crazy hostility and um, kind of like protectiveness within the Peloton because there were so few opportunities for women. I think especially kind of the matriarchs of the Peloton were like, who are these young kids? Like, we don't like, I don't know if it was like initiation or like kind of like, well, we had to go through this. So we're going to put you through this kind of thing. So there was a lot Mm -hmm. of that in road. And I was like, no, thanks. (laughs) This is not fun for me. Like there was, there were some like, standout women who I am still dear friends with to this day in within that peloton that were like get on my wheel like I got you and if it weren't for them like there's no way (laughs) so like shout out to Meredith Miller and Lauren Hall (laughs) for being that I'm just doing so many shout outs on your podcast for some reason (laughs) I'm I'm bored hopefully all the people that you're shouting out your sister Meredith Miller Lauren Hall Hopefully they all share the episode, like, subscribe, rate, totally. review. We're into it. We're into it. Yeah, I mean, there's such a there's such a beautiful opportunity that is to help someone else, knowing that no one else necessarily needs to be your competition. That there's room for everyone to excel in whatever way that they are going to excel. So for you yes. to have this perspective on the benefits of female camaraderie, both in and outside of sport. That's like really helpful and really critical. And I hope that as we all proceed and as we see women cycling taking such a big step forward when it comes to media attention and important partnerships, which we'll talk about in a second, like it's so, so great to see where we can go if we lift, if we choose to lift one another up. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, it's complicated, right? Like if you're in a workplace, if you're in, you know, a race, like your, your competitors, the people you are competing against for a win or, you know, a promotion, like they're also the ones that you need to have on your team because like collectively we're the ones that like make moves forward and not all women see that like, and in sport, it's really complex because like, you know, we are competitive. Like when the race starts, like you, everyone is trying to win and there can only be one winner (laughs) and it sort of goes against like everything else that like we kind of work together on so like it's I don't know like there's some women who are like no you're not my friend and like we are competitors and this is our job and like I'm a professional and that is their definition of that and that has been really not challenging for me to learn, but like, I have learned that, like, I see that now. Cause like, I used to view those, those athletes as like, I don't want anything to do with that, but I'm like, well, that's just how they do their sport. And like, I don't have to be like that. Like I, I'm gonna, I am different. (laughs) Like I like, (laughs) I like the social side. Like if, if the social side of cycling went away, there's no way I would do the sport. Like there's no way if it was just racing and and me and like it's it's solitary enough like I want to go and enjoy myself with my you know like before our last race I texted 
um, this woman who is one place ahead of me in the series. And I was like, Hey, are you running a pack? Like I'm thinking this. And she's like, Oh, well I was thinking this because of this. And like, it was totally back and forth. And she helped me out. She helped me like make a decision. We are not even on the same team. We are like competing closely against each other. And like, she's someone who's like me, you know, like I don't, I don't withhold that information for my personal gain. And some people do, and you just kind of have to like suss out who that is. So it's, those sorts of things have been like a huge learning for me in the pro field. And it goes back to that idea also of how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. Like, would you rather be the person that's there to lift each other up and lift somebody else up? Or would you rather be the person that's so busy sussing out the competition that like, does the win feel as good if you're only in it for you? I'm not so sure. Oh, totally. And it's so it's so interesting. I mean, man, I should have gone into like sociology or something. I find sport like fascinating and cycling specifically because like, well, we're racing with men also, which like we can get into like that whole thing. But like it is, I don't know. I think in a lot of ways, like competition brings out these like (laughs) this like weird, like primal response right with people and like sometimes it gets kind of ugly but then uh, other times it's really beautiful too (laughs) right right like what the unification under the circumstances can look like (laughs) totally like sometimes I look around and I'm like this is so silly like we all (laughs) care so much we're in like spandex onesies with like a glorified diaper on and we're riding mountain bikes like through the north woods of Wisconsin in a torrential downpour <laughs> like I don't know it's just and I'm like and this is my job <laughs> right right like this is what I am here to do today I'm here to wear yeah. this glorified diaper in public <laughs> yeah totally and we all think we're cool and then I'm like I just have these moments of like Oh, no, nope, no one's cool here. (laughs) Sarah, you are cool. You are cool. (laughs) Let's pivot a little bit and talk about deciding to go all in on the career change because I do think that this is a topic. I'm sure people have messaged you about it, but it can be really intimidating and quite scary to say to yourself, okay, I have worked for this many years and done X and Y and Z to get to this place. But you know what? I'm not so sure that this place serves me anymore. So talk us through your decision to lean away from graphic design and maybe some of the emotions that were associated with that. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think all of this is so relevant right now, just with what we're seeing with burnout and what people have learned, you know, through 2020 and having some time away. Um, And I'm not going to lie, like that totally affected me. Like 2020, like racing stopped, like jobs stopped. And um, I was sort of approaching like, not burnout, but like definitely I was like feeling like the design world like was less and less interesting to me. Like I wasn't, you know, when you're like really excited about new stuff, you lose track of time when you're like going down a rabbit hole in, in whatever that is. And like design was that for me for a really long time. Like, and then I got a job <laughs> as a graphic designer and that, that starts to like dim the light a little bit. Like I, I don't know if you've done your like Enneagram before. Um, but oh, I'm, I need uh, to, can I tell you, this is like something I'm embarrassed about that I haven't done oh, because I feel as though the listeners are probably like, Emily, I feel some kind of way now that I know that you've never done this because <laughs> I think it's something that I would do, but I have been doing so many other things that I've never totally, done my Instagram. Totally. Well, Confession. I can give you all, all of the information. Actually, my, our couples therapist suggested it, which like, love it. it was, it, it is like the coolest thing to learn about your partner. Like it is so interesting, um, especially oh, wait, wait. If, so for someone who doesn't know what an Enneagram is, can you tell them what it is? So I think there's like nine numbers and I, I'm pretty sure it's like, it's sort of like a biblical thing. Um, so if you're into the religion part of it, there is that for you. If you are not, I'm not like a religious person. So like I kind of went, I used this Enneagram Institute.com is like the website for all the information. But basically there's like 
nine types and you, everyone's like sort of a combination of all of them, but like you show up strongest as one of them. And then like, you'll have like a wing of this in your best moments. And then you'll be this in your like worst moments or like places of growth. And so it's fascinating. Sometimes it takes people a really long time to figure out which number they are. I know them all so well that I can like tell my friend like, hey, I think you're a six. And then they'll like take the whole test or like read through all of them. And they're like, oh my God, you were right. Like totally a six. Okay, Sarah, at the end of this, when we have like another like 28 minutes to get to know each other, before I ask you the final question, I'm going to ask you to tell me what my Enneagram is. Deal? (laughs) Okay, sounds good. I love that. Okay, keep going though. So why is this relevant to your career transition? So this is relevant. Um, So I'm an enthusiast and basically which is like a seven or something. But basically like the the defining part of that for me, um, and I will preface this with, I am not into like Myers-Briggs or like personality tech. Like I don't like any of that stuff, but this, this felt like super interesting to me and like pretty relevant. Um, but basically I'm always seeking out the best and newest experiences, which is why like I think ADD goes into that as well, but <laughs> we can get into that later. But I I think once something sort of starts to like feel less sparkly and interesting to me, which, you know, I've learned a lot. Like I felt like in school as a designer, I was like had this like glorified idea of like what a designer was. And like, honestly, before I found cycling, I thought I was going to like move to New York City, like be in like art curation, like not sport at all. So design balanced with cycling felt like a really awesome, perfect match for me. And it was, and then I got a job and it was still sort of exciting, but I had to tweak so many things in my mind as to like, I mean, when you're a designer, you basically like your client or the company you work for, like you are doing designs for those people. It's very rarely like for yourself. Um, and that was like a really hard thing for me. And over the years, like I had some awesome clients and some really amazing, fun projects. And I learned a ton, you know, I worked for a company in Durango, saw an acquisition, like I had a whole life (laughs) before professional athletics. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, because people who live in Durango, especially who are interested in cycling, often they have done that thing for a very long time. So I think part of the reason I have found success, albeit a bit later (laughs) in life, like I signed with Specialized when I was 28, which is late for a cyclist, but not for women, I guess. And um, I think that really like was important for me because I was sort of seeing like I was sort of feeling like I wanted to have a career change anyway with design. And I had left the company um, that I was working for and I got a job in PR and I was sort of like, I was just slowly like phasing out of these things. And those decisions, like I remember I had quit this job um, that I had worked at for seven years as a designer and I had gotten another job in PR for an outdoor company and um i was driving to my new job and i just cried like the whole way there and i was like no one told me that career changes were so hard and really like painful and it almost it feels like a breakup like it's you know it's the right thing but it feels really wrong and bad i mean sometimes and then i left that job cuz i was like whoa this is wrong and then i was like totally lost for a while yeah when you say that you were totally lost for a while, what did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I I knew that the job that I had moved into was sort of that stepping stone job. Like I had moved out of like my main career. I knew I needed to do it, but I was too scared to just quit and like have nothing else lined up. So it was sort of that like baby step. Sometimes you have to jump, you know, sometimes there's no baby step to help you and you just have to like peace out and know that like you will figure it out you know, like you can pinch pennies, you can budget, you can like live very frugally until you figure it out. But like, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And like something my mom has always told me is like, 
we are tough and smart and like you figure it out, <laughs> especially when it's like no other option. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsor at AG1 from Athletic Greens. If you're a longtime listener of the show or a new hurdler, it is no secret that I am obsessed with my AG1. I have been shaking up this bottle of 75 whole food sourced ingredients plus prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods for years now. And I cannot imagine what life would feel like without it. When I start my day with this sweet sip, I honestly feel like I am gifting myself the feeling of just ah, being settled and comfortable in my body. When I drink AG1, I feel like my digestion is better. I feel like my skin looks better. And honestly, it also helps me focus, especially when I am looking down at a pretty decent to-do list. Thanks to the cumulative properties, again, I said I've been taking this for a while now, of all of those good adaptogens. Whether I am home here in Brooklyn or on the road, like I said earlier in the episode, heading to London and Chicago within the next two weeks, I know that my day has got a kickstart with AG1 from Athletic Greens. Now, of course, they have a deal for you. Now is the best time, if you haven't done so yet, to get in on the AG1 gang. Head on over to athleticgreens.com. That's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get five free travel packs and a year's supply of vitamin D with your purchase. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. That sentiment though, like that there, when there's no other option, oftentimes it's when you're truly like down and out, when you figure out the solution that's truly aligned with who you are and where you are supposed to go. And I hate the word supposed to, but when you have less say, sometimes that is actually within your favor. The times that I have turned or pivoted within my career often had nothing to do with a choice of my own. It was getting laid off by a publishing company twice and saying to myself, okay, like what's the best I can do with what I have right now? Yeah. Going back to that, like Enneagram number, like I just, I like, I'm such a visual person and I can see like, I could visualize my life right now as like a fashion designer, you know? And like, and I remember working through this a lot in therapy when I was like at at my job as a designer And I would like come up with these ideas of like, I want to be a therapist and then like do everything, like all of the mental gymnastics and like research and then never take that like first step into it. And like what I initially like came to terms with uh, pretty much just by like living (laughs) and like continuing to like make these decisions. But like if that was actually the right move for me, I would have done the things to like start setting myself up to do that. Like sometimes there is that scary step, but like I had to let go of like forcing myself into these like ideas that I had had and just like let myself just naturally do things that I was interested in. And when I was like in that new job that I was not super happy with, it was like, it was only 30 hours a week. So I had an extra 10 hours a week and I just rode. I rode my bike and I raced. I did like little like local cyclocross series. And that allowed me to like come back. I had quit racing at that point. That's a whole other story. But that kind of like gave me space to like fill that time with the thing that I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. apparently that thing I wanted to do was ride my bike and race in the way that I wanted to race, not having that defined by other people. And, uh, and I was able to put myself in different situations that ultimately allowed me to sign a contract. This whole conversation reminds me of a lot of takeaways from how bad do you want it by Matt Fitzgerald. So I'm just going to like drop that book here in case anyone's listening and like wants to, wants to think on that, uh, 10 out of 10 would recommend. And the next thing that you know that I'm going to have to double click on now is why did you stop racing in the first place? (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, I stopped racing because it was not fun (laughs) for me. And I didn't even realize that it wasn't fun. I'm just so, I'm like so driven, like absolutely to a fault where I'm like, all right, like I'm doing this thing. And I'm like, I will like be so focused on it that I don't even realize like what it is that I'm doing in some ways. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I was younger, I was like just out of college and collegiate racing was like the most fun I'd ever had. And like fun for me is being competitive and being like serious in like a lighthearted way, which doesn't make sense. But um, then I like signed onto like a semi-pro team and we raced all around the country and um, I hated it. I was so miserable it was, yeah, I don't know. I, I've actually connected with some of my old teammates and they too had a very similar experience on that team, which is interesting because a lot of us have actually gone on. I mean, we have one of the, one of my old teammates race is like the top racer in like the Tour de France. And like, you know, we have another guy sponsored by Red Bull who's in the same series. Like, it's crazy, like the talent on this team and, and, um, and how many of us felt very similar that, uh, to how I felt, which was like, this is not, I know this is like, should be enjoyable, but like, I'm not having fun. And I remember driving home from a race and my boyfriend, my partner at the time, and well, same, (laughs) same person, Dylan, uh, told me or asked me, he was like, are you having fun doing this and it didn't even occur to me that it that I was not having any fun and I didn't have and that I didn't have to do it that was the craziest part like I was choosing to do all these things that I didn't have to so I stopped racing and um I sold all my race bikes and I got this thing called a trail bike which is a mountain bike that's basically meant to like make you have fun like going downhill and uphill. So sometimes you have to sacrifice one for the other. Um, but trail bikes are awesome and they're light enough that you have fun pedaling up mountains and they're super stable coming down. So you don't feel mm. like you're going to die in every turn. And that was a huge turning point for me. Um, and I would go on these like long rides in the mountains with my friends that were super challenging, but like there was like no pressure on the situation. Like it was just all like about what you could do. And like, there was no proving yourself. There was no finish line. Like it just was purely like about the experience that you were having. Yeah. Well, first of all, to be able to take stock of what you were doing and recognize that despite it was, just because you're used to something doesn't mean that you can't pivot. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that you can't shift. So to have the level of self-awareness to say like, this isn't fun and I can get out of it. I think oftentimes that change is the thing that prevents us from making that pivot. We're scared of change. Yeah. And I think, I think too, and this was a point that I, I meant to touch on earlier when you asked about career change, but it feels like a loss of identity, you know, like whether, whether it's your, and I see a lot of my friends, you know, I'm in my early thirties and a lot of my friends are becoming parents for the first time. And especially, um, my female friends are like, you know, they sort of feel like a loss of identity of who they were because like now they're a mom or like, if you step away as a graphic designer, like, or a cyclist, like, who am I, if not this thing that I've been, you know, practicing or trying to be for X amount of years. And it really forces you to like, actually think about who you are and what makes you who you are. And it's not always the things that you do. (laughs) But I mean, it's, it's a painful, it's an incredibly painful process. But it's something that like, I wouldn't trade those moments for anything because I, I really, I think I've learned, I know this is so cheesy, but it is really true. Like you learn so much more from those low spots than you do from like the glory moments. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. That's why the podcast, my friend is called <laughs> Hurdle. Nailed it. Upon making this choice 
for yourself and now five years into it, what would you say was the moment that you knew that you made the right call? Oh, I think I kind of knew right away. Um, there were like so many moments where I was like, oh my gosh, I like cannot believe this is like my life. The way that I entered the professional world of cycling was like weirdly perfect for me. And it was really like a combination of right place at right at the right time. So it all felt very serendipitous, but um, there was a new team that was launching at Specialized that was focused highly on graphic design <laughs> and art, um, which was like kind of a dream come true. And our our kits, like the our jerseys, our bikes, our helmets, our shoes, like everything was like this beautiful custom design um, with this uh, this brand called Ten Speed Hero. Um, who, and they've become like some of my dear friends now and they're like sort of a design first company and like cycling second, which is awesome. And they partnered with specialized, which is like one of the biggest bike companies in the world and signed myself and, um, my then teammate Ruby West, uh, Canadian woman onto the cyclocross team. And I had literally never raced professional cyclocross. I mean, I'd raced it before, but I was like, everything just felt so, so like perfect. And that's not to say like, there were plenty of moments of being calling Dylan in tears and like feeling like this was absolutely the wrong, <laughs> the wrong move. But like, <laughs> I, like, I laugh because like, it's just not like, Nothing is ever like, per like, I don't think there's ever that like moment of like, oh, wow, this all just fit perfectly into place. And like, this is totally. how it's meant to be. I think it just takes a lot of work to make things feel right. And then a lot of self-awareness, because like sometimes when you're putting in that work to make it feel right, you are just trying to shove a square peg into a round hole. And like, yeah. Sometimes you have to like, ha like know that that isn't the way. But for me, like with cycling, it did very much feel like, wow, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm really grateful. And like, this is where I am s supposed to be. What excites you right now? <laughs> My first thought was like, accomplishing this season and being done. <laughs> okay. Everything is pretty malleable. Like I have a lot of control, um, in like a positive way. Like there's a lot of opportunity, um, and I can work as hard as I can work to, to change how things are, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I know also to pivot a little bit, we have a lot of cyclists that listen to the show. And a lot of these cyclists also happen to be runners. I myself, huge runner, um, do talk about it like sporadically here on hurdle, but I know that as you can understand for sure, a great way to cross train for my go-to sport is to do your sport. So for someone who may not yet be in a place where, you know, they're riding a ton, they're, you know, hitting centuries or whatever, but they do want to become more familiar with it. Do you have any like initial, uh, a couple of tips, a couple of pointers that you want to offer up for the more beginner cyclist when it comes to getting more comfortable in the saddle? Oh, totally. We can jump into it. I mean, gear is a huge piece, um, which I'm not a really technical person. Um, However, especially for women, like, because we tend to be smaller, the, the power to weight thing is something that matters as far as like your enjoyment of the sport. So if you have, basically what I'm saying is if, if your gear is from the nineties, that could be a big like setback in some ways. Like, and I'm not saying like those bikes aren't badass cause they are, but, um, I've coached plenty of clinics where like women will show up on these like machines that just do not work. Like, and then their husbands will have like the $10,000 set up and then they got them this like turd bike, which drives me crazy. Um, but oftentimes like if you can get like uh, an entry level, but like 
nicer-ish bike that fits you, that is, like, I see people, like, it's literally the difference of, like, continuing the sport or not. Um, another thing that people, like, super beginner don't know is that with bike shorts, like, with a chamois, like, with a pad in it, you're actually not supposed to wear underwear with those. I knew that. I knew yeah, that. You are, I like, every, I've, like, talked to, like, a couple different women that this is, like, their first year in the sport. And I'm, like, how, yeah, like, how would you know that? Like, one, there's, like, a million dudes. So, like, they're not going to tell you, like, hey, by the way, don't wear a thong with your, like, chamois. Like, they're not going to, like, come up to you. But I'll be the one to, to tell you, like, it's all, like, the reason you have a chamois and the pad is, like, it's to minimize the seam, the seams with our sensitive parts. So that's a big deal. <laughs> and then also, like, motivation, right? Like, for me, like, sometimes, like, hopping on, like, the trainer in the winter is, like, all, like, that feels good. Like checking the boxes of like, I did a hard workout today and like, that's what I needed. Sometimes like this late in the season for me, it's like really hard to motivate to like go out for like a four hour open ride. So like, sure. Like that's my, that's my ride. But like for a lot of newbies, like doing an hour is a lot of exercise on a bicycle, especially for something that feels like really clunky and foreign and like, kind of scary, especially with traffic, I would honestly suggest like using an app or a website like Ride with GPS or Strava. I, I've never really used Strava for like mapping, but you can like find, like if you can find a really cool route that uses like bike paths and like back roads instead of like main roads, um, that can be like really a like really fun adventurous thing. And then if you are fancy enough to have like a computer um, or at like a head unit, I use Wahoo, you can actually like sync the route. So it gives you like turn by turn instructions. Right. So you don't have to pay attention to that stuff. Um, like these are, sorry, I'm just coming up with like little tips. No, and these tricks. are, I mean, these are all really helpful tips. And I think of that, the hardest thing about cycling, and I believe I heard you say this on another podcast, like the great thing about running is that quote unquote, all you need is a pair of sneakers. But when it comes to getting out on your bike, it's like there are so many different puzzle pieces that you need to assemble to even step out and have a not only a good ride, but then also a safe ride, right? Totally. And I think like, I need to honestly listen to my own advice here. But like, because it is a gear intensive sport, like, and as we all know, like it is really hard to motivate for exercise, especially like if you're not that type of person, like my sister, she's like, I, I hike and run and do whatever just until the point that she feels an endorphin bump and then she turns around. Like we experience Hannah. Like, Are we still talking yeah. Hannah? Here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. we're talking Hannah. She's okay. such a good balance. Um, like honestly, she's probably healthier uh, and will like live longer. <laughs> like I think always <laughs> pushing yourself so hard to your limit is not actually good for you. But going back, like I think having all of your gear like readily accessible, especially it with cycling, like having your flat kit already just like something that's like easy to grab so it has your tire lever your pump a tube some tire plugs like all the things like right there you just grab it your shoes are there your helmet's there your glasses are there and then all you have to do is like put your little chamois on and get out the door it's just like so so helpful and like I think something that people don't know is like just having a functioning bike is really helpful Mm -hmm. and like it's sort of like your car like you get your oil changed a bunch you kind of have to bring your bike in a bunch and just make sure everything's functioning because it makes it like more fun you know <laughs> it's definitely time for me to bring my bike in for sure i have um i have a rubay and i love her she is a babe she's a babe that is a great bike because it like it really i'm all for like using one piece of equipment for like multiple things like i'm not going to be the person that says like well you really need to buy a mountain bike a cross bike a gravel oh bike God. a road bike like really like a bike like the roubaix or the diverge and i'm not like you don't have to buy specialized like that's just what i ride so that's <laughs> what i know but like i do actually think the roubaix is an awesome bike because you can eventually like put actually like pretty big tires in there and like start like dabbling Mm. with dirt and like 
just allow yourself to like have fun and play with like different routes. And then if you're in a big city, I guarantee there is some group ride going from some bike shop that is that will fulfill what you're looking for. So like if you're super into bike racing, there will be that for you. If you just want to go and like meet up with some chicks or like some other people in in the sport that like just tootle after work and like go grab a cocktail or a beer afterwards, there is for sure that for you as well. So like just go Definitely. to like your bike shop too. Cause I think group exercise is I mean, like I said, I wouldn't be doing this if it weren't social. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm a name drop real quick. Shout out to Kelly from Specialized from my Roubaix. I'm oh, hey, obsessed Kelly. with her. <laughs> hey, Kelly. I, I'd done a triathlon previously, but at the beginning of the pandemic is when I got my bike and it just completely changed the way that I was able to navigate emotionally during like such a tough time, especially living at the time on the Upper East Side in New York, like being able to get oh. out of the city proper and find space and solace on two wheels, I don't need to tell you, was just like such a special opportunity. And from the beginning of April 2020, my Roubaix has never had a flat tire. There's a lot of people that found cycling in the pandemic. Like um, I, I was working at a bike shop in 20. Wait, no, was I? No, before that. Anyway, doesn't matter. Bike shops were like literally like sold out of bikes. So like for a long if time. you were one of those people that bought a bike and it's just been hanging in your garage, like, and you needed a sign, here's the sign. But it, it is, it's Get like out. a really, it's a special, like, even though it it feels very much like my job sometimes, um, which it can get, it's sort of a complicated relationship when like the thing that relieves your stress is also the thing that causes a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I still, even, even so I still use the bicycle like to process things. And it's like my form of, you know, meditation and escape and health. And, you know, I, the number of times, like, I'm not like a big, big crier, which like there's some people that for some reason I just cry in front of, but I'm like, if the right song comes on and I'm like in a really weird place or a beautiful place, like those, those tears <laughs> come out. <laughs> they come out. Well, I think that the people that you feel comfortable crying in front of are probably the people that have a, yeah. a special impact yeah, totally. on you. <laughs> uh, Someone comes to your Instagram page right now. They see a cyclist that has 35,000 followers. She's got a bunch of rad sponsors. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Oh my God, that's such a good question. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. Sadly, I, I see all of the ways that I could just be better, to be honest. And I, and I'm, I want to be like, totally, totally honest here. Like there's, it takes hard work to feel like proud of myself. Like I, I don't spend enough time really like being stoked on the things that I've accomplished. Like there's moments of that, but like, you know, I've, everyone has their struggles. And I think that I just sort of like always feel to this or not enough this, or, you know, I could be doing this. Um, so I, I, I could do better at like, <laughs> like being, being proud of myself for like how far I've come. As you should be not taking time to celebrate the wins. I would say a, a big win for you recently, this Rafa kit. Talk to us a little bit about this partnership, why it's a big deal for you and how it feels now to like kind of be in this place where your name is the one that's quote unquote in lights. Yeah, it's, I mean, Rafa, my decision to sign with Rafa from 10 Speed Hero was like, definitely like the hardest choice I've had to make as a professional cyclist. They have taken such good care of me. <laughs> just just because I was so, so such good friends with 10 Speed Hero, and it was sort of like where I'd started. And I think sometimes you forget that these brands are just they're comprised of human beings. Like there are people, you know, behind the scenes, like Kelly at Specialized, you know, like there's that, yeah. it's like, that is what makes it up. Working with Rafa, which uh, to be honest, like 
I remember, so Dylan, my partner, has worked every single job in the bike industry you could work from like professional athlete to like product development, market, all of it. And he, I remember he told me about Rafa and I remember going to their website and I was like, as a designer, I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like it was the first time that I like saw cycling kits as like not the dorky thing. Sorry, dad, that my dad wore. <laughs> because <laughs> my dad was uh, a road biker when I was growing up which naturally I was like I don't want anything to right. do with that <laughs> until yeah, I yeah, left yeah. but Rafa um it's it's been so cool to work with them I would say like in the cycling scene the thing that I'm like most stoked on like are, is clothing like I've just always like really been into to clothing and and those products versus like super technical stuff it's so special to like get to work with their design team. They have an amazing group of designers. Um, and I think a lot of people think I designed the kit, but I was just like a part of the process. Like I was never the one that's, that was like putting colors down and like coming up with this concept, <laughs> but the kits that they, that they made um, this, this season have so there's like so many layers. Like I'm sure people look at it and they're like oh yeah they just put a blob of yellow here some pink here some blue but it's actually they made a pattern like with like a line drawing pattern of like storm clouds and lightning bolts and like overlapped it with the uh, checkerboard flag pattern which was kind of you know tilting the hat towards like my old kit the no finish line kit and so they made this like crazy psychedelic looking pattern with all this negative space from those two things overlapped. They like zoomed in on it and then filled in all of the spaces with those colors that you see on the kit. And I think like, so I just think that that's such a sick way to like end up with the like crazy colorful thing that they, that they made. Also like, it's been cool to work with them because I know that like, I sort of like, push the limits of like colors and <laughs> patterns and craziness because usually they're like pretty sleek simple designs yeah. I mean although they've they've really like started doing some really wild stuff well I got the kit I'm gonna tell you I think it's dope yes <laughs> it's also yes. so cool yes. to see people like and it's so so special like I just yeah it's it's awesome like Awesome. Also, like going back to that like motivation piece, like I cannot tell you how many times like new kit day has been the reason that I like motivate to go for a ride. <laughs> but I keep going. There have been many times that you've had to persist on days when it wasn't new kit day, which will lead yeah. me here into the final question for you, Sarah. I'm <laughs> sad that our time is going to an end. I, I feel know. like I could talk to you for like hours. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Now's the time. Now is the time oh. for okay. you to tell me what right. my Enneagram is. Okay. Just based on literally this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I kind of, I feel like you're, okay, I have to pull it up, but I feel like you're a three. I have to make sure that these are actually the numbers. You're a three, which is the achiever and <laughs> potentially like with a wing seven, which is the enthusiast, the, the one that I am. Enthusiasts are just like people that are like really like energetic and motivated and like yeah, sometimes sporadic. Okay. But I, I like, so they have like your wings or like stress or growth. And I would say like, you definitely give like achiever vibes. And okay, the most interesting part, if you look at, um, the like synopsis, they'll give you a list of examples of other people that are like, okay, uh, Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Paul McCartney, Elvis Presley, Lance Armstrong, <laughs> Will Smith, Courtney Cox, Demi Moore, <laughs> Reese Witherspoon, Anne Hathaway. It's so interesting. Oh my God. Okay. I will, uh, I'll report back. Final question, Sarah. Right now, you have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice. Let's go. Actually, when you were going through your career transition and you were trying to decide in that hurdle moment, what 
felt right for you. Right now, you have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice knowing what you do now. What do you tell yourself? I tell myself that it is equally, if not more important, to slow down and be quiet and have moments of being bored and sad and that chasing happiness is not the goal. Love that. Sarah, I'm so happy we did this. Thank you so much again for making the time and for just gracing us with all of your wisdom. How do the hurdlers <laughs> follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give us the details. I love that they're hurdlers. No, this has been awesome. Like I feel, yeah, this is great. Probably Instagram. I I am on TikTok, which is so funny, but mostly I just like enjoy that space so much. But I am bad at making things on TikTok. Um, I'm a voyeur, if you would call it that. Um, but yeah, I would say Instagram. If you have any questions, if you're like new to cycling, please DM me. It might take me a couple of weeks to see it and get back to you, but I'm always like really stoked to answer questions. Sarah, S-A-R-A-H underscore Sturmy, uh, which is my nickname, S-T-U-R-M-Y. Beautiful. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>